0: <laughs> that's, that's Thursday back Bay, CG. Thank you, guys. So <laughs> good morning, Cornerstone Church. How are we doing today? <laughs> well, surprise. Uh, there are a lot of you that I haven't yet gotten to meet, so, uh, and you're probably wondering what I'm doing up here. So let me briefly introduce myself. My name is Myung. I've been at Cornerstone for a little over a year now, and I'm currently a second-year student at Gordon-Conwell, which is a seminary. Oh, Lord have mercy. And before I moved to the East Coast here for seminary, uh, I basically spent my whole life over on the, uh, the better side of the country. In and, and out, no, let's go. I've, I'm just gonna. I've actually gotten to appreciate Boston quite a bit in my time here. And uh, I'm a stubborn Californian, but a couple months ago, I actually, for the first time, willingly used the term mad good. So I'm basically an East Coaster now, right? Anyway, regardless of where we're from, uh, we're all brothers and sisters in Christ, amen, amen. So today I've been privileged to share the word of God with you. And if you weren't with us the past two Sundays, uh, we're currently in our Lent sermon series and it's titled Fast, Giving Up the World to Gain Jesus. And the goal was that as a church, we would fast not just from something for the sake of self-control or or self-improvement, but from really whatever it might take for us to know Jesus more deeply. So we'll be continuing with that today, and before we dive into the word, let's pray together. God, we thank you for the privilege of hearing your word, and I just pray that as we uh, dive into it, that our hearts would be open, that our ears would be open, God, that our hearts would be fertile soil, Um, God, that we would receive your word as yours, God, not from any other person, not from any other thing, but from directly from you, and would it just Go real deep into our hearts today, God. So we thank you for this precious time, God. I I personally thank you for the privilege of being able to deliver your word today. And in your son Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, About three weeks ago, I started a a love-hate relationship with the workout program called Insanity. Quick show of hands. Anyone know Insanity? Anyone done Insanity? A lot fewer of you. A lot fewer of you. For those of you who don't know, it's basically a workout program, uh, and each workout lasts anywhere from 40 minutes to an hour or so. You do this six days a week for across 60 days. The selling point of this, obviously, is the results. And so take a look at pictures of some of the people who have done this program. It doesn't look too drastic, right? But it looks like he's just turning his body a little more, right? But believe it or not, the results are listed at 19 inches around the waist, 5 pounds of body fat, and 35 pounds across the board. You also notice that day 30 or so, he didn't look too happy about doing this. Take a look at another one. A little more drastic here, 63 days. But the point of this is that, look, the results are real. This thing works. And so the question is, why would anyone not do this? Why would anyone not choose to do this program? And for those of you who have done this or tried it once or twice, we know that it's freaking hard. It's really not easy. The reward of this is great, as we just saw, but the process of getting there is not meant to be easy. In fact, ease is almost an indication that you're not doing it right. Now, I share this today because as we're talking about what it means to give up the world and to follow Jesus. Yeah, I wanted, yes, I wanna address the, the greatness of, of gaining Jesus, but also the, the battle of giving up the world. As much as there is a joy and, and a reward in gaining Christ, we've got to see that there is a seriousness and there is a weightiness that comes with giving up the world to follow Jesus. You know, everybody wants to be fit, everybody wants to be healthy. And like we saw, not everybody is willing to take steps to get there. And likewise, I feel like a lot of people, they want and they they desire to know Jesus and to seek Jesus, and they're willing to do that, and they're, they're wanting that, but only to the point where they're not giving up too much for it. So with their current sermon series in mind, let's dive into what it means To follow Jesus, because to gain Jesus, we obviously need to follow him. And as much joy as there is, like I said, there is a determination. There is a necessary cost that comes with it. I know I'm putting this nice seminarian stereotype on the line here, but my only hope really is that I speak faithfully into what the word of God says today. So let's look at our text, and we will see three key aspects of following Jesus. Three points. Can you tell I went to the same seminary as Pastor Danny, Pastor Hoja? Our text is from Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. Two short verses. You can turn with me or you can follow along on the slides above. So, Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. I'll go ahead and start reading. These are the words of Jesus Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction and those who enter by it are many for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life and those who find it are few this is the word of god it's short but packed let me just read that one more time enter by the narrow gate for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction and those who enter by it are many for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life and those who find it are few. The beginning of verse 13, again, you see it reads, enter by the narrow gate. Firstly, I want us to notice that following Jesus is pressing and that it demands a decision. Matthew chapter 7 is actually the beginning, or is actually the last part of what we know is to be the Sermon on the Mount. If you were with us last summer, you know that the Sermon on the Mount is a series of teachings that Jesus taught on how we're called to live. Now, in chapter 7, verse 13 to 14 here, this marks the beginning of the sermon's conclusion. Not my sermon, Jesus' sermon. It marks the beginning of the concluding theme. And so we see two types of gates in our passage today. Following that, we see two types of trees. We see two types of workers after that. And then we see two types of Builders. So the conclusion of the sermon is this. You've heard all these things. You've heard all these teachings on how we ought to live. And now there are two options. To either follow or to not follow. When Jesus says, enter by the narrow gate, this command, his imperative, it demands a commitment to one or the other. He doesn't leave a third option of choosing both. He doesn't leave a fourth option of choosing neither. It's got to be one or the either. He presses everyone with this command, enter by the narrow gate, to choose once and for all either to follow or to not. When, when I was in middle school, my mom would tell me to do something and I'd, I'd pull the I can't hear you card as if if I didn't respond to that, I wouldn't be held responsible for responding to sort or doing anything about it. But we know that it does not work that way because when given any Command. When given any command, there are only two possible responses: to follow it or to reject it. To passively receive the command and do nothing about it is to effectively choose against it. Now, for you theologians out there, I'm not. I'm not disqualifying the role of grace and the role of faith. In fact, I'm trying to clarify. Charles Spurgeon is a famous 19th century preacher, and he puts it this way. He gives this illustration, and actually my brother James Troy shared this illustration for one of our Gospel 101 classes a couple months ago. There's my shameless plug for Sunday morning classes at Cornerstone. The next time those come up. but Charles Spurgeon says, imagine this. A child is trapped in an upper story of a burning building, and a man is standing outside saying, hey, jump, jump into my arms. Charles Spurgeon says, It is a part of faith to know that the man is there. It is another part of faith to believe that the man is strong, but the essence of faith lies in the dropping down into the man's arms. It is grace for the man to offer the child to jump, and it is by faith, through faith, that this child jumps. But my point is, believing in Jesus is made complete when we respond by committing ourselves to him. And like this child... We are pressed with the decision to either follow or to not, to jump or to stay. It's one or the other. Like Pastor Hojan shared last week, we can't choose both Jesus and the world. You know, I think this illustration is especially fitting for our passage today because it also highlights just how pressing this decision really is. For this child to jump is to live, and for the child to stay is to die. And Jesus presses this command, and one response leads to life, and the other to destruction. And in context, in the context of Matthew 7, and the repeated references to one of two eternal destinations it's clear here that Jesus is talking about a spiritual reality of heaven and of hell. And so I'll be very explicit here in that following Jesus into the narrow gate leads to heaven, eternal life in heaven, and choosing to follow otherwise to eternal suffering in hell. In John 14, Jesus says explicitly, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And I realize this might strike some of us as being harsh or exclusive, but I'm saying this not as a means of division, but as a means of invitation. And my hope is that if any of you or anyone listening has, chose, has not yet decided to follow Jesus, that we would do that and enjoy life with us. And, and because I, I care about this, it's all the more why I want to be clear about what the Bible says so that we're not misguided about what it means to follow Christ. With that, I imagine that most of you here, I hope many of you here, have, have already decided to follow Jesus. And praise, praise God for that. But this command to enter by the narrow gate is relevant to every single one of us here today because following Jesus is not a one-time deal but a, a daily way of life and a daily Commitment As followers of Jesus, we're pressed between two ways every single day. Every single day, we're pressed to choose between hating those who have hurt or even annoyed us or loving them. We choose between putting ourselves above people or choosing to humble ourselves before them. And the list goes on and on and on. How many times in our day-to-day are we pressed and we have choosing Jesus and choosing otherwise in front of us? And we're, we're at that tension. And so I, I want to ask you, Cornerstone Church, when in, in that moment of tension, when we're pressed to choose between following Christ and not, which will we choose? I'm even going to throw this one in here. Very often we have to choose between whether or not we will compromise our obedience. That one's tough, isn't it? It is for me. Because it's so, so easy to rationalize, to rationalize some some middle ground type of way of following Jesus, isn't it? Am I the only one that feels this? When it comes to certain gray areas, it's not so easy, is it not so easy to flirt with that line of sin? But as we saw, we're always choosing between one way or the other, and compromise is not obedience. And and please don't get me wrong. My point is not that we have to be perfect, okay? We've all messed up in the past. We're messing up even as we sit here right now, some of us, and we're going to mess up for years to come, am I right? But that's not a license for disobedience or compromise. And my point is, for, for those of us that have committed to following Christ, let's Let's move beyond the question of, is this sin or is this not sin? That's an important question, but let's, let's learn to move beyond that. Let's learn to move beyond, can I do this and then can I not do this? And, and let's stop asking, how far can I go before it's sin or how far can I go until it's still okay? And I challenge you to start asking the question, does this help me follow Jesus more closely? The call to follow Jesus is a pressing one, and it demands that we choose either to follow or to not. So let's choose without compromise, to follow. Now this obviously I'm sure you felt it at this point. It's not an easy thing to live by. It's not. But Jesus must have understood that because he continues in verse 13, saying, "The gate is wide and the way is easy." That leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is what? Hard, that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Naturally, following Jesus is hard because it is necessarily costly. Back in 2007, I went on a mission trip with my church youth group to a village in Mexico. And for a lot of us, that's where we saw concentrated poverty and and economic oppression for the first time. And when we were there at one of the churches in these really small, poor villages, I remember seeing these Christians just on their knees, just crying out to God in desperation, as if if Jesus were their only thing. And I I remember seeing this, and I was just so—it had such an impact on me. And I started thinking, wow, these people have it so hard. But it's so easy to be Christian in America— But let's think about that for a second. Can it be easy to be a Christian anywhere? I think 16-year-old Myung was forgetting something because Jesus does not say so. In fact, today's passage says that following him is costly and difficult wherever we are, and this is why. And when we're, when we're following Jesus, we're walking in the opposite direction of our flesh. We're walking in the opposite direction of the world, which means that it will absolutely cost us our comforts, our conveniences, our complacency. It has to. The word hard here actually is the same word that Paul used even to describe the affliction and the oppression faced by Christians in the church Following Jesus is so antagonistic to sin and the flesh and the world that it is necessarily difficult. And Jesus himself says straight up, the narrow way is hard. That's why he says those who find it are few. And that's not meant to be a quantifying statement about how many people find it and how many people don't, but an expression of the fact that we typically naturally incline to what is easier. Jesus could not have been more clear. Following him is meant to be hard. And he's not talking generally about life being difficult. I think almost anybody can tell you that life is difficult. He's talking specifically about the challenges of living out our faith here in this world. So with this passage before us today, Cornerstone Church, we've got to ask ourselves, is our faith easy? Or is it truly easy? Characteristic of following Christ. I love what my community group leader, John Shin, shared with us this past Thursday. Thank you, brother. I didn't tell you about that, but as we were talking about the sermon series and how to seek Christ more earnestly, I love this. He said, Let's be uncomfortable. Let's be uncomfortable. And I love that because today's passage, in fact, reinforces that and says discomfort is not an add-on to following Christ. It's a must. Discomfort's not something auxiliary or something you can choose to tack on to the path to committing to follow Christ. No, it's a must. It is a necessary part of it. Now, I wouldn't be surprised if some of us already, many of us already know what it, how hard that is. Let's take something even very simple like reading the Bible and praying. If any of you have built that discipline up easily, please show me your ways. Right? It's not easy. Anybody who's tried to read the Bible cover to cover in order will know exactly what I'm talking about. Am I right? And, and, the, and the difficulty is that is in the flesh. Right? It's, it's our flesh. We're battling our flesh. And our flesh is saying, when we're reading through the middle of Numbers, our flesh is saying, this is boring. This is pointless. You're wasting your time. There are more fun, more engaging things to do with your time right now this is too much work this is too much effort see the call to follow jesus is the call to fight our flesh and if we were really fighting our flesh life definitely cannot be easy i don't think i'm the only one that's felt the difficulty of fighting sin right those moments of fighting the temptations of of anger hatred against somebody else Lust, selfishness, overindulgence, and the list goes on and on. It's hard. I'm sure some of us here are dealing with certain addictions to sins, and I don't think I need to sit here and convince you that overcoming an addiction to something is hard. It is. But the call to follow Jesus is a call to put our sin to death. It's costly, costly. And it's difficult, but that's the only way about it. And even beyond matters of our own sin, maybe some of you have paid a price for living out your faith. Some of you may have lost the support of your friends and your families because you've made made Jesus a priority in your life. Some of us are being ridiculed, maybe, or rejected by those around us because of our faith. And maybe some of us have made sacrifices just simply because God has called us to. And those have not been easy. All that to say and reiterate that following Jesus is costly. If we're really going to take following Jesus seriously, if we're really going to follow him, we've got to follow him all the way to the cross. We often say, we even sing up here on Sunday sometimes, we want to be like Jesus. We want, I want to be like You And we've got to remember that Jesus did not come to earth just to be, come into this world just to be a nice person. Jesus came into this world knowing that the world would oppose him. Knowing that this world, knowing that his own human nature would make going to the cross agonizingly difficult. I mean, when he hung on that cross and people around him were mocking him, challenging him to say, and saying, come down from this cross and prove yourself I mean, he had every right and all the power he needed to come right down and make things easier for himself. He certainly did, but he, instead of thinking about what is easy or difficult, he was thinking primarily about the call that he had to bring forgiveness, to bring reconciliation between us and God, even at the cost of his own life. Let's not forget that the Jesus, this person we're we're following and wanting to be like, laid down all of himself, lost everything of this world, and went to the cross. Jesus said later in Matthew 16, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, pick up his cross, and follow me. To clarify, okay, this does not mean that we can't enjoy life. I'm not trying to suck all the joy out of your life, okay? We can and we should enjoy the good things God has given us, but not to the negligence of our call to follow Jesus. If we're going to follow Jesus, we've got to follow him all the way to the cross. So following Jesus will absolutely cost us our convenience. It'll cost us our comforts, and it'll cost us our complacency. So let's get uncomfortable, amen? Let's get uncomfortable. As you can see, Matthew 7 Verses 13 to 14 is a tough passage, but I promise there's an encouraging part of this, and I promise that I'm a nice guy. I do hope that the Holy Spirit challenges you with the Word of God today, but I also hope that you will be encouraged with the Word. Because yes, following Jesus is pressing. Following Jesus is necessarily costly, but it is absolutely Worth it. Jesus says in verse 14 that this narrow way it leads to life. And what is this life? In John 17, Jesus says, This is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. Can I read that again? John 17, Jesus says, This is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Eternal life is not just some abstracted good thing we get when we die. Okay, let's get that clear. All right. Jesus says that eternal life is a personal knowledge of and a personal life with him from now into eternity. The great worth of following Christ is that we get Christ forever. I want to share... An illustration uh, adapted from a sermon by Francis Chan. Some of you may know him. So visualize with me, okay? Visualizing me. Let's say this point right here. This point right here is going to represent right now. The present, okay? And we're going to, from this point, extend the line all the way across, and we're going to draw the timeline of our existence, the remainder of our existence, into that direction, which means that this line from here is going to go all the way in that direction and into infinity because we are going to exist into eternity, Okay, so we've got this, we've drawn this whole timeline of our existence here before us. Now, at some point around here, depending on how closely you zoom in or zoom out, at some point around here, either Jesus is coming back or our bodies are going to expire, and our time here on earth is done. Okay? And so at some point here, that's what's going to happen. And then we've got the rest of this. Let's take this. Are you, are, you seeing, are you seeing where I'm getting? Do you see kind of the, the problem with this? So many of us are thinking, I've got to enjoy this right here. I've got to make this real, real good. The, the more ambitious people among us will think, I'm going to work so hard from here to here about this point right here that I can really, really, really enjoy this bit right here at the end. So that our kids then can maybe work a little less and then really enjoy this bit right here toward the end. And then our kids after that can do the, the same and the same and the same and so on and so forth. Do you see the problem here? I mean, I mean, this is great, sure, but what about, what about this? What about the, the rest of eternity? What about the rest of all of that? We often live, right, and myself included, I'm not excluded from any of this, we often live like this is all there is to our lives. There's more. Giving up this for the sake of this makes a whole lot more sense than giving up this for the sake of, of this, no? Right, this little bit right here might be worth it for now. But is anything that ends here really worth it compared to having Jesus for the rest of forever. To follow Jesus means that we give up some of this, but it means that we get to be with Jesus for the rest of this. This world is not worth it. Jesus is. My friend who's doing youth ministry in the New England area here once told me how hard it is to do anything with the, his kids, youth kids, outside of Sunday services because their parents were always complaining about how why, why are we, our kids wasting precious time to do other stuff in church? Right. Last week I was watching an atheist vlogger on YouTube who was ridiculing Christians saying that praying is a waste of time. Not, it doesn't work. Why are you praying? It's a waste of time. When I first decided uh, to, to leave my job and, and come here to seminary, I told my project manager at the time, he looked at me, he just kind of, such a waste. I'm not saying, to be clear, I'm not saying that going to seminary is the only or the best way to follow Jesus. I'm not. But my point is this, that in the eyes of this world, it makes no sense to pursue fully the things in this world. It makes no sense in the eyes of this world right, to give up their time, to give up the effort, give up their energy to live for, for not this. In the eyes of the world, right, it makes no sense to deny ourselves the good things we have here. It makes no sense not to live in whatever way we want. Because when you only see and you only know and you only believe in this, this is as good as it gets. But it makes every bit of sense, Cornerstone Church, to count the cost when you know you're gaining something worth it. It makes every bit of sense to lose the world, lose and die to our flesh when we know we're gaining the one thing that is meant to satisfy us fully and forever. And it makes every bit of sense for us to choose the hard way when we know we'll be taking every step of life from now into eternity with Jesus. What is life without Jesus? What is life without hope of eternity? What is life without hope of of forgiveness and reconciliation and freedom from our guilt and our shame and our sin? I mean, what is life without the assurance that we are loved, not for the things we do, but regardless of them? What is life without Jesus? So then I ask, what is there in this world? That is not worth trashing for the sake of knowing Jesus. Now, I don't say, again, any of this because I get this fully, uh, because I get it perfectly and I live it perfectly. But, in fact, I, stu- I still occasionally hear people, when I go home especially, express what a waste it was for me to have come here. How I could have made more money. Uh, how I could have been more successful how I could have been more useful. I honestly struggle sometimes uh, with whether or not I I did the right thing. But every time that happens, I'm pressed with this. I'm pressed with this question. Is any of that, is any of that, does any of it compare to what I have with Christ now? Does any of that compare to what I have for eternity? Does any of that compare to the sweetness of knowing. Sometimes in my random periods of life, sometimes in my time of worship, sometimes in my times of prayer, does any of that compare to what I have in those moments, that sweetness of knowing that Jesus has brought me to where I am right now and he will take me wherever I need to be and I will be with him for the rest of eternity? Does any of that compare? I don't think so. And I hope I speak for all of us when I say that if it means Being considered a fool by the rest of the world to give up the world and to gain Jesus forever. I'm cool with that. The Apostle Paul is a little more eloquent than I am, so he puts it this way. Indeed, I count everything as loss for the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. The gospel does not promise that we will gain a certain amount of money, a certain level of success, a certain level of happiness for following him. In fact, there are people who have lost everything. There are people who have, countless people, who have lost their lives for following Jesus. But it does promise, the gospel does promise that when everything else at one point ceases to exist and ceases to matter, we will have the one thing that matters most. When we follow Jesus, we get Jesus forever. And there's no greater joy, there's no greater worth than that. Cornerstone brothers and sisters, let's choose the narrow gate. Let's choose the hard way. Let's be uncomfortable. It's pressing. It's costly. But it is absolutely worth it. Bow with me for a time of prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. And in a lot of ways, even to myself, it is a word that is challenging to us. And it is a word that is not easy to take home and live by. But God, we pray right now because of that, Father, that the spirit would just open our hearts and our eyes to see the, the far surpassing the greater worth of having Jesus in our lives. Give us the eyes, Father, of faith to see, God, that there's more to life more to ourselves, more to living this life than, than this world, Father. Help us to see with eyes of eternity what is ahead of us, Father. Help us to count the cost, Lord. Give us the strength to count the cost, to, to be uncomfortable, and to know that you are far greater and more worth it than anything we know now. And so, God, as we t- take this time to respond I just pray that you would move in our hearts and that you would really bring about a a real transformation through the spirit in our lives. That our lives would look different from this moment on. Father, we thank you for your word again. We pray these things in your son, Jesus' name. Amen.